Welcome back, Dad. Yeah. We are already on, what is this, our ninth podcast? Yes. In our series. Um, good to have you back. I know you took a little vacation with mom to Pennsylvania, so uh, Lancaster, so have a fun time there. Had a wonderful time. Good hearing the uh, horse and buggies uh, going by. Uh, it just slows things down for us. As you know, we did that often as mm. uh, children, uh, when you were children, just taking you guys. And it was just the time of our lives. And I got to do a reading too. Uh, so people always, look, what do pastors read on vacation? So I had you know my books on textual criticism. So I went through uh, Westcott and Hort's original book and Bergen's and it was it was good. So I, you know, I always try to focus on something that I don't get to do with ministry mm. as much. But thank you. Yeah, and I, I saw the pictures, looked fun, and uh, we had a good time. Busy. It was a busy, good time. Uh, taught a Bible study last night to the preteens on Leviticus, going through the books, so trying to get them that foundation. And on Sunday, I preached on um, idolatry, the whole idea of, is free time my idol? My idol? Mm-hmm. You know, with idolatry, the mm-hmm. thought of sometimes people just spend all their life working for that free time. And that replaces their love for Christ. So uh, I I enjoyed filling the pulpit, and it was an honor. So, but I'm glad you're back. So Thank that you. I, I can focus now back on uh, my <laughs> my youth ministries and such. So I uh, always get great reports uh, whenever I come back and hear about your preaching, and it's just a beautiful thing for me because for years, you know, we did vacation. You came back on a Saturday, mm-hmm. and you jump right back in the pulpit on Sunday. So it's great having you and uh, instructing the congregation so well in my in my absence. And it's hard to have a vacation when you know you're coming right back to it's speak. It's true. Because your yes. brain's on all that. That's stuff. right. But, uh, let's, let's get right into this passage, which is one of those passages that we tend to skip mm-hmm. because um, basically the whole context of it happens between two verses. Right. Um, when I taught this to my young adults, I called it between the two verses. Mm-hmm. Because so much happens, and we overlook this part of Jesus's ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the most creative title because I tried to sum it up. <laughs> it's Jesus moves his ministry after John is arrested. So um, this is this is going to be, I, I think, eye opening, and it's very good for anyone in leadership. That's right. Uh, I think this really applies to pastors and people who could be jealous of other ministries. Yes or who could be envious or not content. Mm, mm-hmm. So I'll say it again, welcome to the Father and Son Pastoral Podcast, podcast number nine from the Jesus Said That series, looking at everywhere Jesus spoke in the New Testament. And today's podcast is entitled, Jesus Moves His Ministry After John is Arrested, which is taken from John 3 through 4, verse 3, Matthew 4, Mark 1, and Luke 4. And with all that said, it's a very short passage. Um, <laughs> I like this passage because it gives us a window into Jesus's early ministry. Yes. Even though it's a Jesus said that series, Jesus does, is not quoted. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he does go around preaching in our main text. He'll, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll speak in the parallel text. Um, it's going to be, I, I find it just, it's one of those things, John is arrested and Jesus leaves the area and meets yeah. the woman at the well. I refer to her as the bad Samaritan, sure. you know, different from the good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And this is important because it explains why Jesus is traveling through Samaria. Um, only John's book talks about the uh, Samaritan woman. Mm-hmm. So I like how, and we're going to see it in a little bit, you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
when they go, Jesus is baptized, and then he just goes to Galilee. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and they and they miss this whole thing of him preaching and teaching and baptizing mm-hmm. and then traveling through Samaria. So right. uh, this really enriches the text. So let's get right into it. Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. After this refers to his conversation with Nicodemus mm-hmm. when he explained what it means to be born again. Um, I you probably get sick of me saying this, but Jesus doesn't have apostles yet, mm-hmm. only disciples. That's right. So um, his ministry is very similar to John's here. Right. The only difference is Jesus himself is not baptizing. Is there any significance you think to that or why Jesus doesn't baptize and yet his disciples at this point do? Yeah, really, it's guesswork uh, at that point. Um, you really don't know. Uh, John 4, 2 specifies Jesus didn't do any of the baptizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, I guess, as you say, your guess is as good as mine. But what I, one of the things I really enjoy about this, and you picking up on the earlier accounts of uh, Jesus's ministry, he just spent time with them. He wanted to be with his disciples. They're learners, but he needs to get to know them and they need to get to know him. And even later with the call to the apostles, uh, he called them to himself. He wanted to spend time with them. Uh, Jesus wants to spend time with us. And that's such an encouraging little comment uh, that is uh, given here where he spent time with them. I think he's constantly with them. Yeah. Because it seems like when he goes off to pray, they almost have little panic attacks mm-hmm. and always go right. looking for him. Right? Um, where have you been? You need mm-hmm. to heal or you need to go. There. And we see all those accounts. That's right. So it seems like Jesus spends a lot of time mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. So um, verse 23, John was also baptizing in Anan near Salim because there was plenty of water there. People mm-hmm. were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown in prison. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, have you been to that area of around the Judea? And I know you said you uh, were in the Jordan. Yes. Uh, we got to see this too. Okay. And uh, it, it's just special. I mean, you read this account here, and uh, the word Anan just means fountain or spring. And it's kind of interesting that the word Salim means peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus went to places with water, as John did, because they needed to baptize. Mm-hmm. But it also was um, a, a beautiful location. Yeah. And out of curiosity, was it like really green or wildernessy or this particular area had a little bit more greenery okay. uh, than others when you get to the temptation area it's like rock it is barren so uh, okay. it's an interesting mix in israel and and we see a couple details are thrown in here that there are uh, people were coming and being baptized so a lot of ministry going on and obviously john had not been thrown in prison but they want to emphasize that fact in the text so um I would assume at this time, John had been preaching for a while, Mm -hmm. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Mm -hmm. So I would assume that is the ministry that is still going on as he is baptizing and teaching. And a lot of people are going and checking out Jesus. So John is doing his job very well. John is masterful. He understood what he was called to do in fulfillment of scripture. But he seems to accept his role mm. with great humility. It's sort of like Barnabas and Paul. Uh, Barnabas mm. picks up uh, Saul. 
And next thing you know, it's Paul and uh, Barnabas. <laughs> I mean, Barnabas was happy to step aside because he understood Paul's gifts. John understands his role here and perfectly gets it that even as he gets set aside, Jesus is the true light who has come into the world and he wants to shine the light on the true light. So you see, he's just pointing people, they're going, yeah. ministry's growing. Mm -hmm. Then a dispute rose between John's disciple and a Jew about purification. Um, there's a debate in manuscripts, some say Jews, mm -hmm. many say a Jew. Mm -hmm. So my translation here says a Jew about purification. Mm -hmm. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about, obviously speaking of Jesus, mm -hmm. and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Sounds like there's a lot of sour grape going on yeah. right here. You know, John, you were doing this first. Right. We're following you. Yeah. Um, and yet everyone's going to them. Right. So we see here John's disciples get into an argument with an unnamed Jew. Yeah. Um, you know, I read many traditions. It was Nicodemus, whatever. Mm -hmm. We have no clue this Jew is. Mm -hmm. The text doesn't say. But they get into this debate. And obviously, the, the debate isn't very important. Right. Because John, the author, doesn't go into many details about it. And more just kind of builds a bridge to why they came to John and asked him about Jesus's ministry. Uh, the group's uh, following and uh, truly sending out spies to watch John and Jesus. It's, it's an interesting time, because yeah. I'm sure they did. Yeah. Uh, if you think of the Essenes, you think of the Pharisees, uh, both groups had these ceremonial washings or cleansings. Mm -hmm. So basically, probably underlying some of this is the idea, well, why does John need to baptize? We already have water rituals. So who is, who is he? So, so I guess you're saying there's a lot of competition Yes. Going on between these groups with yes. John's disciples, and then John's disciples are looking at Jesus as well. And uh, obviously, there's jealousy here. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> because uh, they go and uh, they take it to the baptizer. Mm -hmm. And I love John's response in verse 27. John responded, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him mm. from heaven. Mm-hmm. And this is a concept we all need to embrace. Mm -hmm. um, being able to do ministry is a blessing and a gift from God. You talk to some pastors and they act like it's the biggest burden, mm -hmm. the biggest curse yeah. that could be placed upon them. But ministry is a blessing and a gift. And you know, I don't know John's mind, but I bet when he was in jail, I bet he wishes he was out there doing the ministry. Sure. Um, a lot of us love it. and. He, I've seen pastors who tried to retire mm -hmm. and they never stay retired mm -hmm. because I think you understand ministry is such a blessing That's right. and it's not you. So the baptizer understood this concept and that's why I wasn't trying to upstage Jesus. You know, as, as you pointed out, it looks like everyone's kind of going back at each other with this baptism thing and John, John gets it. So um, that is why we should never view fellow churches or ministries as competition. They are all stewardships given to us by God for his glory. So I know our church might do something. I'm not speaking about doctrinal differences. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if there's major doctrinal differences, you have to point out to your people, hey, you know, this is wrong. Sure. But people might have different methods or do, um, they might sing different songs. Right. They might approach a worship service different. And uh, I don't think it's for us to go in and say, oh, they're doing this all wrong. Right. Because <laughs> you know, yeah. God, yeah. God gives us different stewardships. 
Uh, I was just talking to someone at the church and they were asking me about worship mm. uh, in the New Testament. And I'm like, that's the beauty of God's word is there's not many verses on worship yeah, right. because God didn't want to create a Jewish church. Right. It's the universal church. So, you know, some churches might have clapping, some might have acapella, some might have all the instruments going and they're all glorifying God. So um, with all of that said, mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting that John is not envious. John mm -hmm. understands mm -hmm. the importance of Jesus's ministry. And uh, he understands that it's all a blessing. Mm -hmm. It's all a blessing from God. Right. And then he says, you yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been said ahead of him. Once mm -hmm. again, it's his purpose. Yeah. Um, anything you want to add? Well, I emphatically stated in the Greek, I am not the Messiah. Uh, John, no wonder why Jesus puts the spotlight on him and says, there's no one like this, uh, born among women. You look at the Corinthian church and they were gifted. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 7, they lacked no spiritual gifts. So apparently they had all the gifts and all the divisiveness that went on. And then Paul asks, I think, a masterful question in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have? that you did not receive. In other words, it's it's a gift. John understood his ministry was a gift from God. He lived in light of that, did not need to compete with anyone else. When Jesus comes, it's like, that's why I was here to point people to him. And John gets it. So he's he is a remarkable man in so many ways, but he's the model as the forerunner of what should happen with, with ministries. Always pointing to Jesus. Always. And, I mean, that's yeah. us as pastors. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, our goal is to just point people to Jesus. Yeah. Um, that's why celebrity pastors and stuff are so dangerous. That's right. I think even in Christian community, mm -hmm. you know, we have so much, oh, I listen to him or I listen to him. Right. Yeah. Like that has some great authority where it's mm -hmm. like, it should always be pointing to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then John gives an illustration. He who has the bride is the groom, mm. but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. Mm. So this joy of mine is complete. Mm -hmm. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, I did a little history into the weddings people yeah. had at Galilee. Mm -hmm. well, as an American, I tend to think women plan yeah. the wedding. You know, Since I, age eight. <laughs> I think it's yeah. funny how we always cast our culture upon scripture. Exactly. You know, individualism, you yeah. know, just this, you know, I've always seen the women are so yeah. excited about the wedding, so I just assume the women did exactly. it. Exactly. But, you know, I found from what I could find, at least digging, mm -hmm. um, that in Galilee, it was the bridegroom's friend who actually planned the wedding mm -hmm. and oversaw the wedding, which was distinctive from other parts of Israel, but it seemed to be a Galilean custom. Mm -hmm. And his job was to make sure everything would go smoothly. So John's parallel is, it fits perfect. He's like, basically, I'm making sure this all goes well. Yeah. <laughs> and I step back because now the groom himself is here. Exactly. And I mean, let's face it, we don't go to weddings to see the bridegroom's friend. Exactly. You know, I'm not there like yeah. giving him presents. He and He's just there to make sure the groom, everything goes smoothly. So it's a perfect picture of John. Here he is. He comes, he announces the groom, he preaches about him, he points to him, and then he steps aside. Your historical and cultural research so helps us to understand this. Because like you say, we come from America. Uh, women usually coordinate everything with the wedding. Oh. And here is John 
an important person because he's introducing the Messiah, but he knows he's not the man. And uh, that is bore out so beautifully here. And do you think the illustration is kind of like to a degree that it's an Old Testament, uh, usually visual, that the bride is Israel and the Messiah, you know, is like Mm -hmm. the groom. So I I think that could be, you know, he's presenting him to Israel, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. to speak. I I think that's very probable. Sure, I agree. Uh, So then um, we're going to skip the rest of chapter three. Because it goes into a theological discussion by John mm-hmm. about the deity of Jesus, obviously, um, just explaining who he is. Mm-hmm. That's why we love John. Wonderful passage. Yeah. Um, but we're more just following this narrative. So it picks up in chapter four. Mm-hmm. And this is what I called between the two verses with my Bible study. Mm-hmm. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, then we have a little note, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Mm-hmm. He left Judea and went again to Galilee. Mm. And, you know, you read that and you're like, okay, he just, you know, here's the coming and backs out. But we miss a lot of the historical context. That's right. So the context here is his ministry is growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is still very early in Jesus's ministry. That's right. Uh, people in Jerusalem have heard about him, maybe people at the wedding. He's starting to do some miracles. But uh, it's getting busy. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like this picture of Jesus' disciples baptizing people. Yes. Because I kind of picture Jesus is preaching. Mm-hmm. His disciples are over here. Right. People are coming up. Yeah. They listen to his message and they're baptized. Mm-hmm. So then John writes that Jesus left Judea and went again to Galilee because the Pharisees were coming. Mm. But uh, we're going to see what happened during this time. Exactly. And uh, I want to show you biblical reasons why the Pharisees are now focusing on Jesus Mm -hmm. and not John. Uh, We're going to see that at this point, John was arrested. Mm -hmm. So Jesus had very little ministry with John. Mm -hmm. Um, John's arrested very quickly. He is. And with John out of the way, the religious leaders could focus on his popular cousin, Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus. How do we know this? Uh, The Bible tells us. (laughs) I made it up. Um, Matthew 4, 12. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Mm. Now, I think it's important to see that if you go from, you're down in Judea, it's way down here, mm-hmm. <laughs> the bottom of Israel, right. yeah. and he's going to travel way up near to the top of Israel, which is Galilee, um, and he's going to pass right through Samaria, That's right. which sets up the next passage. Now, a lot of Jews, as you know, everyone knows this just from every preacher says it on the passage, how they, they go around, you know, a lot of good Jews would go around Samaria, yeah. but Jesus is going to cut right through. Um, another thing I noticed when I read this was Jesus did not have a big ego. Yeah. Um, he didn't stay and say, oh, they just arrested John. He was, I mean, you would be upset if your cousin's arrested right. wrongly by a Jewish king, yeah. um, or the king of the Jews, at least, who wasn't really Jewish, but... Um, and he's he's arrested, but John, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus just leaves the area. Yeah. And I have written here, how many Christians fall into traps and troubles because they do not use wisdom and withdraw from certain situations? Um, there's times to fight. We all know that. There's mm-hmm. times you stand, but I think there's also times to withdraw. Jesus did, David did, Paul did. Mm-hmm. Uh, all great men of God understand when it's time to retreat and fight on a different day. And uh, I, I think a lot of Christians, it sounds brave, 
you know, but sometimes you got to use wisdom. That's right. <laughs> what if God doesn't want you to die on that hill? Exactly. He wants you to do some more work. So, uh, but we, we learned from Matthew four twelve that John was arrested. Now, Mark says, after, and this is Mark 1, 14 through 15, mm-hmm. after John was arrested, Jesus mm-hmm. went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Once again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have temptations and then Jesus going to Galilee. So that's why I like working through all four Gospels. And I've been working very hard to put in chronological order Mm -hmm. because it it gives you a lot more background and it gives you a complete picture of why Jesus is seemingly randomly going into Samaria. It also shows you his mindset. His cousin was just arrested. Um, a lot of us would be angry, upset. Yeah. Um, we'd, go, we'd go to the government, at least here in America, and be protesting or picketing, mm-hmm. where Jesus just goes to an ungodly area and is going to tell them how to be born again. I think uh, Mark uh, picks up to give a comparison uh, with John the Baptist being arrested, and then later Jesus. It's just an interesting little side note, but where it says after John was arrested, literally his paradidomy to give over. Uh, so we know John was arrested because he had the audacity to confront Herod Antipas about his illicit marriage. Yeah. But then just a couple chapters into Mark in chapter three, verse 19, there is a comment about Judas handing over Jesus. So there are some parallels uh, with John the Baptist and Jesus in what they had suffered. Oh. And Jesus is very close to John, at least yes, we think so, at least right. in spirit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't grow up together. Mm-hmm. Who knows about any of that? That's yeah. all fantasy guesswork. Mm-hmm. But um, they, he, they both cared about each other uh, greatly. And we're going to see in the future, quite far in the future, mm-hmm. um, when John is killed, mm-hmm. Jesus is going to want to get to go to be alone. He wants to get away from everybody. And that's when uh, the huge crowd shows up and he feeds the 5,000 out of compassion. So uh, it seems like always in these bad situations, Jesus is showing compassion. Mm -hmm. We had the Samaritan woman, as we'll see next week, Mm -hmm. our next next podcast. And uh, after his cousin is actually killed, executed wrongly, Mm -hmm. um, we're going to see he's going to have compassion on the crowds. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of gives you into the mind of Jesus, mm-hmm. just that loving your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And then we have our, our final uh, parallel, Luke 4, 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. So he just kind of skips everything. He does, yeah. <laughs> uh, he just... he just It's topically written, um, that's right. Yeah, uh, And that's what I always want those who listen to podcasts, yeah. what people at church understand. Most of the Gospels are not written chronologically. Mm-hmm. Most of them are topically. Right. Uh, John seems to be much more chronological. Luke at points. You, there are parts that are, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are, you know, here was a story about a demon-possessed man. Here's another story about a demon-possessed man that happened three years later, and it, and they seem to be happening at the same time. And it's like, no, they're, they're far apart. It's just topical. Exactly. Um, one of the things that intrigues me with the Luke gospel he focuses on the humanity of christ Mm -hmm. jesus praying but also the spirit's emphasis upon the son of man Uh, in chapter 4 verse 1 then jesus uh, being filled with the holy spirit so he's filled returned 
from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Uh, an intriguing little study is looking at when you have the words being led, hmm. they're always in a context of temptation. And Jesus takes the high road, doesn't submit to Satan's temptation, but the spirit is evident. And then here in Luke 4, 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit. And the word for power means achieving power. It's used later when he expels demons in 436 and then of healing in 517. But Jesus is truly connected to the Father. He has these regular conference calls and the spirit of God is energizing him to do the impossible. So I love how you're picking up on a different gospel accounts. And I'm just thinking of Luke here, because we all need that Holy Spirit power in order to do what God calls us to do. So I just think it gives us a more complete picture. Absolutely. And kind of just fills in the blanks without uh, Mm -hmm. happening to create it from our creativity is truly from the Word of God Mm -hmm. when that informs our minds. Mm -hmm. So I want everyone to understand before John Chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, a whole lot happens. Yes, John is arrested. The Pharisees are coming for Jesus, so mm-hmm. Jesus leaves the area. Um, and often, and I say this a lot, we miss the, how, does, how can I say this? So I sound weird. We miss the psychology often in scriptures of all the people we're going through. Mm-hmm. Maybe a better term would be the emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to think of these as just stiff characters. You know, exactly. I go from here, I go from here, I tell that person, right. I pre- you know. His cousins are arrested. Mm -hmm. Pharisees are investigating him. Uh, He has a growing ministry, but Mm. it's the Father's will for him to leave and to go through this terrible Samaritan region. Mm -hmm. Just, Mm -hmm. it's a lot going on. And sometimes we miss that if we don't just take time and just look at a passage. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is why we need to study um, scripture and uh, really just see everything that's going on. That's right. So let's jump to um, what we can learn mm-hmm. from this passage, our employment. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's historical applications. We already talked about those, but uh, the timeless spiritual truths we can learn. And first one, and these should always be based on the text, by the way. It shouldn't be anything new. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be, use your spiritual gift correctly. Yeah. You know, it's like, what? Um, John understood that his ministry was a gift from God. And, and that's what this text is teaching us. John understood the purpose of his ministry and did not for granted. Mm-hmm. He did not feel threatened by other ministries because mm-hmm. he understood God had given him his ministry. Mm-hmm. So then this brings us to a question uh, that the listener should ask him or yeah. herself. Do I view my temporary ministry as a heavy burden or a beautiful blessing from God? Um, we only get to serve so long, at least in this body. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a blessing. Your health is a blessing to allow you to accomplish your work, having a brain is a blessing mm-hmm. <laughs> that functions. That's right. And uh, it's all from God. Mm-hmm. So um, do you view ministry as a heavy burden or a blessing from God? And both uh, John and Jesus had brief ministries. Very short. And Jesus could say, it is finished. Uh, John struggles at a time when he's in prison, just making sure this is the Messiah. I'm sure he has some uh, questions that he wants answered because he still didn't fully understand the plan of God. But they had brief ministries, but they both uh, knew that it came from above. And that kept them, I think, going on those difficult days. Well, I think um, Jesus dies around April, Passover. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll be this, you know, this Passover, I'll be the exact same age he was that he died. 
And that makes you really think. Right. You know, I've been doing ministry for many years, but I think he only did three years of ministry. That's, right. That's short. That's and short. look at all he did. Um, so thoughts we should have. Am mm-hmm. I a good steward of the ministry God has placed me in? Yeah. Um, do I have the right attitudes, right motives, and so forth? Am I content with the ministry God has given me? Yeah. Or am I always discontent and always wanting something else? That is mm-hmm. something I've seen with pastors, sadly, is sometimes they just see it as stepping stones. They start as a youth pastor just so they can get a little experience so that they can wait for the bigger church to reach out to them. Mm-hmm. And then they step up to the bigger church. And it's almost like they're, they're climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big problem with a lot of ministries. People are not content. They're mm-hmm. always wanting something else. Where John, he was like, I understand my purpose and I'm just going to stick to it. I can remember decades ago, so many young men that were either entering the ministry or in ministry, it was almost they had a corporate hierarchy of where they wanted to be, uh, whether at this season, I want to be at a church of 50, then 100, 500, blah, blah, blah. I want to write a book. As if this is some scripted um, life that we're supposed to have, instead of just as Paul and his associates, I mean, were were to be good stewards of what the manifold grace of God. And he considered himself, basically the term later came to be used of an under rower in a slave ship from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. But it's just, it's just the idea they really understood that it's a gift from God, but to be content with whatever role mm-hmm. God gives to you. I mean, Paul could have said, I want to be the apostle to the Jews. And Peter could have said, I want to be. <laughs> yeah. They just understood uh, where they were placed and they just rested in that and and served as, as all of us should do. And let God take care of the rest. And advice we'll give to every pastor is with your board. Yeah. Um, people think they're entitled after a while mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People think if you go to church long enough, you just should be elected to be a deacon. Uh, forget the qualifications. Yeah. <laughs> Throw all that out the window. You know, yeah. if I serve, if I've been here long enough, I should be a deacon. Exactly. And then they think all of a sudden without any teaching ministries, without the biblical qualifications being met, that all of a sudden they should just be an elder. Yeah. And uh, that's why we have all these unqualified people in churches with horrible things going on. Yeah. Because people or thinking of it as a corporate thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just real quick, I was I was somewhere and uh, we were buying something, my wife and I, and this lady was talking and she was saying, why are, why are you a pastor in PG County? Why don't you get out of there? And, yeah. so, <laughs> and uh, it was all that stuff. And as she was talking, she, she came from a traditional type of uh, church. I, I think, well, no, I'm sorry. She said it was uh, a Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. she said. And like her dad was pastor and stuff. And she was talking about her husband. She said, yeah, he doesn't want to be a pastor, but uh, I told him to run for deacon. And then uh, he said, maybe I'll stop at elder. And it's like, <laughs> you're, you're listening. You're like, what I is know. this, politics? Yeah. Um, are you qualified? Are, how do you view this? But you know, it's just how people view things. And it yeah. doesn't matter the nomination. I think a lot of people in America view it. Stepping stones. John Dinnett is the main point. And the question is, do you? Are you mm-hmm. content where you're at? Mm-hmm. Um, point two, John wanted to glorify Jesus and not himself. Mm-hmm. John was happy that Jesus was growing in popularity and that his own ministry was shrinking. Yeah. <laughs> his, he understood his mission to prepare the way for the Messiah and point to him as the Lamb of God. 
And then a question I need to ask myself, do I truly understand that all my hard work in my ministry is to glorify God and not myself? Mm-hmm. Is my ministry all about my glory or is it all about God and his kingdom? Um, a lot of pastors act like you owe them or yeah. a lot of people, it's like, you owe me, you owe me. And uh, I don't know, it just seems like, is it for God's glory or is it for my kingdom? And I think in John's resume, how great is this? Because people try to hire pastors if they've had a history where the churches have grown where they're at. Well, of course we want to see our people maturing. Yes, we want to see uh, find the lost and train the found, but it becomes almost like, oh, that's going to make our church uh, like this as well, which I think is a very dangerous thing. So what does John write on his resume? I used to have vast crowds (laughs) come and follow me. Now I've got these few guys and I'm still pointing them to Jesus. But he has a success story. He was doing what he was called to do. And I remember I taught one Bible study that, and I asked the kids the question, was Jesus a failure? You know, their eyes all bugged out. But the thought was from a corporate standpoint, he was. From a secular standpoint, he was a big failure. People still got sick and died in Israel. He didn't free his people. Um, He only healed some. He had a short ministry, but it was what God willed. So... uh, But uh, thoughts, am I like John who did not compete with other ministries and was not jealous of their fame? Mm. Am I willing to decrease so that Jesus's kingdom may increase? So that's, that's how we should always be focused on. So in our final point, Jesus knew when it was wise to withdraw. Jesus perfectly followed his father's will and withdrew from Judea, even though his ministry was thriving. He followed the Father's will, not popular opinion. This will result in an entire Samaritan town being born again. And then questions that you should ask. If I had a popular ministry and my father told me to go, would I obey? And what does my answer reveal about my heart? Mm. And then a, a final thought. Am I like Jesus who had the humility to surrender his will to do his Father's bidding? You got to know when to fight. You got to know when to uh, run. And it seems like we always want to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, when, a lot of times when things get tough, we tend to run mm-hmm. <laughs> where we need to fight. Right, and then it's just we got to know what God's will is for our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we end, what was a pretty short passage? Anything you want to add or share? John's words should be indelibly marked in all of our hearts and minds. John three thirty: He must increase, but I must decrease. If we truly had that mindset, how different the whole Christian culture would be. And I cannot agree with you more. Jesus stayed in connection with his father. And even when in uh, Mark 1, the temptation is from Peter coming, saying, Jesus, you know, great things have been happening at Capernaum. Where are you at? He was out with his father praying all night and said, hey, I got to move on to the next town for this purpose I have come And I think Jesus perfectly sets for us what we need to do is understand from God what we're called to do. And you know, you've been uh, with me now for about a decade on pastoral staff Mm -hmm. at the church. And I remember 20 some years ago, just telling the board, I said, guys, you just let us do what God calls us to do and support us and we'll be good. We'll, We'll watch the power of God in operation. And now here it is, that was several decades later, and people are looking going, hey, that's, this is pretty good. And wow, we like what's going on over there. But it's, it's simple obedience and, and needing to have a board that 
supports the pastoral staff and understands their role too without being envious or jealous of it. Uh, yeah, more people are like that. Many churches would be a lot more healthy. <laughs> Absolutely. In the grammar. And, uh, and that was podcast nine. Jesus moves his ministry after John is arrested. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, listening to this was a blessing. And uh, Pastor Ken and I, we always love um, comments. Please. If you leave them, we'd love Please. to hear from you. Yeah. Um, so feel free to leave a comment or a heart, whatever. And uh, I'm looking forward to our, our next passage as we look at the bad Samaritan. Right. So uh, we'll see you next time. God bless you.